This morning's scripture reading is from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we'll be specifically in the latter half of verse 18 all the way to verse 26. If you're using the Blue Pew Bibles, it will be on page 980. So Philippians chapter 1, the latter half of verse 18 to verse 26. Please rise for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have this morning to be able to sit under the preaching of your word. We know that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides soul and spirit, bone and marrow. And we ask that your spirit would help us to see areas in our life where we need to submit to you. Help us to learn how to obey you in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the games that I played with my cousin growing up is the game Connect Four. And I'm sure that many of you know this game. There is a grid, a seven by six grid that serves as the game board. And each player is assigned colored disc. One person has the red disc, the other has the black disc. And the players take turns dropping these discs into this grid. And once a player has connected four discs, they win. They will, can connect the disc either horizontally, vertically, diagonally. Either of those methods, either of those ways will result in a win. Now, every time we play Connect Four, the outcome would always be the same. There is a winner and there is a loser. And oftentimes, my cousin was the winner and I was the loser. Now, the path to winning may be different, but the outcome is always consistent. Only one person wins. Now, isn't that true about life, if you think about it? That there are only two outcomes for most scenarios. Win or lose. Let's say you get into a car accident. You come to a traffic light, it's green, so you charge ahead, but as you cross the intersection, another car 
slams into you because he thought that yellow light means charge. And then when you determine fault in the car accident, there is a loser. The one who is at fault loses. The one who is hit wins. The one who is at fault pays more insurance. The one who is hit sees no change in his insurance premiums. In sports, we see the same thing. There is always a winner or loser. If there's a tie after four quarters of basketball, there is an overtime session to determine the winner and the loser. Or think about hiring. When you're trying to hire someone for an IT position at work, you have five candidates. But one candidate stands out above all the rest. And she gets the position. She wins. The other four candidates miss out on the job. They lose. And when we lose, it's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain. We don't think about rejoicing when we lose. I mean, no one ever rejoices when they're at fault in an auto accident. They grumble about their insurance premiums going up. No one ever rejoices when their favorite basketball team loses. They complain that their team's players, they fail to play at peak performance levels. No one ever rejoices when they lose out on a job opportunity. They grumble that the hiring manager failed to see how they could contribute to the company. It's easy to grumble. It's easy to complain when we lose. And when we lose, we rather grumble and complain rather than rejoice. Now, it seems like the world is designed so that there are always those who win and those who lose. But for Christians, though, it's different. That those who have placed their faith in Christ do not live in a win or lose world, but believers can rejoice that there is no such thing as a no-win scenario for them. That in Christ, every scenario is a win. No matter the outcome, Believers will come out on top, and this enables believers to rejoice. Well, where do we get this idea? Well, this idea is found in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Now, for those of you who have missed the past two Sundays, this summer we're going through a series on the letter of Philippians. And now, what prompted Paul to write this letter to the Philippian church? Well, when the Philippians discovered that Paul was under house arrest, they decided to send a member of their church, Epaphroditus, to see how he was doing. They also sent with him a financial gift to make sure that Paul could be able to pay for his rent and also pay for his food. And the Philippians worried that Paul's imprisonment in Rome would ultimately result in his execution. They believed that Paul was in this no-win scenario. But Paul wrote this letter to this church to reassure them he was doing fine. So while some people saw Paul's imprisonment as a loss, Paul saw his imprisonment as a win. So let's look at what Paul wrote. We'll be turning to Philippians chapter 1. If you're here earlier for the scripture reading, you should be there already. But if you're not, please turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, someone once taught me that the best way to locate Philippians in your Bible is to remember this phrase, Gentiles eat pork chops. 
So you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Okay, so it comes after Ephesians, it precedes Colossians, so Philippians chapter 1. So now in our section of text this morning, Paul's going to describe two scenarios that might seem like a loss, but in actuality, it's a win. That believers can rejoice in these two situations, these two circumstances, where victory seems really unlikely. But Paul teaches them, and teaches us, how to see victory in these two scenarios. He shows us how we believers win in these two cases. So let's look at these two scenarios that seem like a loss, but is in actuality a win. And because it's a win, we can rejoice. So let's look at the first scenario. The first scenario is proclaiming Christ in a hostile situation. And proclaiming Christ in a hostile situation is a win. Well, why? It's a win because you will experience God through it. And because you experience God, you're able to rejoice. That when you're put on the spot to declare your allegiance for Christ, it's a good place to be in. When you feel the pressure for talking about Jesus, it's not a loss. When you experience the heat for sharing how Christ has changed your life, it's a victory. It's a success. That proclaiming Christ in a dangerous situation is a win because you will experience God. So rejoice. But it's kind of difficult though, right? It's difficult to rejoice when we have to proclaim Christ in a hostile situation because in our eyes, we see it as a loss. Well, what is a hostile situation? Well, there are some places in the world a believer could be executed for sharing the gospel. I think of nations like North Korea or Iran. Or you can be thrown into prison for evangelizing and sharing the gospel with others. Nations like China would not hesitate to throw you into prison for sharing your faith. But for most of us, we don't have to fear execution or imprisonment. The most hostile situation that we might face is rejection. That people may reject us for sharing the gospel. Now, rejection could take multiple forms. They may unfriend you on Facebook or Instagram. You may no longer receive invitations to birthday parties or socials. An employer may put you on the bottom of the pile of those that he's considering for a promotion. Or if we advise our adult son to work out his marriage rather than leave it for another woman, we might be dismissed. And we think in these situations, it's not worth it to proclaim the gospel. It's not worth it to take a stand for our faith in Christ because we lose out. We lose out on social media popularity. We lose the opportunity to connect with other people at parties. We lose out on the benefits of promotion. And we strain our relationship with family members. And we think to ourselves, proclaiming Christ in these situations, it's not worth it. It's a loss. And there's no reason to rejoice. But Paul rejoices. He rejoices when he has the opportunity to proclaim Christ in a difficult situation, in a hostile situation, because we experience God. And when we proclaim Christ in a situation where there are high stakes, high risk, we will be able to see God at work, that we will be able to testify to his goodness in our life. 
So look with me at Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at the latter half of verse 18. It says this, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, rejoicing requires choice. It requires willpower, an active decision, because we prefer to experience joy rather than be joyful. We choose to rejoice even though we may not feel like it. Our insides may say, grumble, complain, be angry, feel the frustration. But the Spirit of God says to us, rejoice, because even though it's hard, God will take care of you, and we choose to rejoice. Now, note what Paul writes at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He makes a choice to rejoice, even though his situation would not normally lead to rejoicing. No person ever says, I feel joy being in prison. I feel joy for being chained to this Roman soldier. No one says that. I mean, his listeners like us know what it's like to experience joy. I mean, we experience joy when we go to a friend's wedding or a family member's wedding. We experience joy. We rejoice when we receive that very first paycheck. We rejoice when we go on that date for the very first time with that special someone. Joy happens to us. But then as Christians, though, we can adopt an attitude of joy because of two truths. Two things that we as Christians believe in. First truth is that God is ultimately good. That he acts for his glory. And it ultimately benefits his creation, which includes us. And the second truth is, since God is good, then the circumstances we face, whether good or bad, ultimately will benefit us. Now, we may not always know why or how these circumstances may be a benefit to us. For instance, we don't know why God might take a family member away before we're ready. We don't know why we might catch a deadly disease. We don't know why our relationship with someone might even be strained. Yet, as believers, we believe and we trust that God is good. And that the situations that we face, whether difficult or hard or easy... They will bring glory to God, and it'll turn out for good, although we may not know how. And as a result, believers can choose to rejoice whether they win or whether they lose. Now, this enables Paul to rejoice as he faces this hostile situation that, he, that he's in, because he knows that as he proclaims Christ in this circumstance, in this situation, he will experience God. Now, Paul believed that there are three ways that he would experience the Lord, that there are three ways that he would experience God. First, he believed that he would experience God through answered prayer. He believed that God would answer the prayers of the Philippians, that when the Philippians prayed for Paul to continue sharing the gospel with the guards around him, Paul could see God answer that prayer when a Roman guard shows interest in the gospel. When the Philippians prayed for Paul to know how to explain his case in court, Paul would find that the words to defend the faith, 
to explain that he's not a rebel, just come easily out of his mouth, that Paul would experience answered prayer as he proclaimed Christ amongst adversaries. It's a win. Now, Paul experienced God through answered prayer, but he would also experience God in another way. Paul would experience the presence of Christ. Look at the latter half of verse 19. It says, The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance. Well, what does Paul mean by help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ? When we come to faith in Christ, when we come to faith in Jesus, God supplies us his Spirit. And what is the job of the Spirit? The job of the Spirit is to conform us into the character of Christ. This means that as the Spirit does his work in our lives, the more we reflect Christ. So Paul is saying that in these dangerous situations, the Holy Spirit does an even more clear case of displaying Christ through his life. Because on his own strength, Paul wouldn't be able to stand as a witness for God. And this this situation, this difficult circumstances, allow God, allows him to showcase his power and that it manifests the presence of Christ in the world. And this, again, is a win. Now, Paul believes that by preaching the gospel in a dangerous situation, he would experience God through answered prayer. He would be able to see God work in his life to display Christ. And in Paul's eyes, these two things are positive. They constitute a win. So he rejoices. And there is one more way that Paul believes that he would be able to experience God. He believed that he would also experience God's commendation. He would hear God recognize his faithfulness. Paul would see God express his approval of his work, and of his ministry. Look at the last word in verse 19. It's the word deliverance. Now, the word deliverance could be rendered either vindication or salvation. So what is Paul trying to say here? Paul's trying to say this. When we think about deliverance, Paul may be, we may think, oh, Paul's going to be released from prison. While Paul is confident that he's going to be released, he's not really sure. And so... Paul can't really predict the future, so I think Paul's actually talking about a future time, a time way in the future where he will stand in the presence of God. And then when God evaluates his service, especially this time as he's in prison, God will acknowledge him as a good and faithful servant. That's why vindication could also be an alternate reading, that Paul will receive vindication from God one day. And God will award to him a commendation. So Paul rejoices when he proclaims Christ in a hostile and difficult situation because it allows him to display, ultimately, his devotion to God. And this is a win. Look at verse 20. It says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And it's easy sometimes for us to proclaim Christ when people will nod their head in agreement. Yes, we believe in sin. Yep. Yes, we believe that we need Christ. Yep, 
We believe that salvation is through faith. Yes and amen. But it's hard to proclaim Christ when it's difficult. When it's dangerous to even mention the name of Jesus, will you be just as devoted? Will you continue to call yourself a follower of Christ even when it's difficult to do so? Because if you do, then like Paul, you can rejoice because you will experience God's commendation for your faithfulness to the gospel. So Paul rejoices in this particular situation because he believes that he'll experience God through prayer. He believes that he'll experience the presence of Christ. And he believes that he will also experience God's commendation. So if proclaiming Christ in a hostile situation is a win, then we should rejoice when the opportunity to do so actually arises. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that you should seek to create a hostile situation. Don't go into work on Monday morning saying, with a shirt saying, if you think Houston is hot, hell is hotter. Right? That is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if you experience a hostile situation, then rejoice that you can witness for Christ at that particular moment. So imagine it's a Monday morning. During the school year, you're in your family's cars, in the back seat, and your mom's taking you to school. And you know, the family car gets in line. And you know the line I'm talking about. It's the line that wraps around the block, and you don't even see the school yet. But all these cars are lining up to drop off your classmates to school. And so as you see your drop-off point approaching, your mom says to you, hey, Marco, I'm going to drop you off soon. Why don't we pray? And so your mom prays a prayer. She says, dear Lord, we thank you for this day. May you give Marco wisdom to witness for Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Mom. And so then you grab your bag, you grab your Pop-Tart, and you try and finish it before you get to your first period class. And then lunch comes around, and then you run into your friend, Lucas. Hey, Lucas. Hey, Marco. Hey, so how was your weekend? It's kind of weird. Weird? Well, what do you mean? Well, we had dinner at my cousin's place on Saturday, and we were taking a break from playing Mario Kart. And then he says to me that he had become a Christian, which is fine. But then the weird thing was what he said next. He said that because I was a sinner, I was going to hell. Now, I found that offensive, intolerable, because I still remember the time when he threw a tantrum playing checkers with his sister, and he lost. And I still remember the time when he took his parents' credit card information to buy a game without permission. If anyone should be going to hell, it should be him, not me. Hang on a second, but now that I think about it, Marco, don't you go to church? And then you think to yourself, oh no. Like Lucas and I, we're currently in chemistry class together. He's my lab partner. This is going to make things so awkward if I have to tell him what I believe. And besides, most of my friends at school, they're not believers. And I want friends to sit with at lunch. I know what happens to those who sit alone. But then I also know 
that as a believer, anyone who doesn't place their faith in Christ is going to hell. But I feel the tension. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to lose. Maybe I'll just say, your cousin was wrong. And then at that moment, you sense the Spirit of God prompting you and saying to you, tell him the truth. It's going to be okay. Trust me. All right, listen, Lucas. I am a Christian, and I believe that anyone who does not place their faith in Christ will spend an eternity apart from God because sin separates us from him. But I don't know if you're going to hell because it depends upon what you believe about the gospel. What do you mean by that? Okay, so this is what I mean. You have to make a decision. After hearing what the Bible says about God and sin, what will you do? Will you place your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin, or will you say no to his offer of his salvation? Because depending on how you answer those questions will determine whether or not you go to hell. Hmm. Hmm. Eh. I'll give it some thought. And you breathe a sigh of relief because you think to yourself, thank God, crisis averted for now. I guess I'll have something to share with mom later tonight, right? It's this idea that in that moment, when you feel the pressure, when you feel the heat, are you going to cave in to your desire to be approved by people around you? Or will you take your stand for the gospel? Now, it may not happen exactly that way, but it could. It's possible. And if there's an opportunity for you to share your faith at work, then take the opportunity to take a stand for Christ. Then when you get together with friends to play a volleyball game, Will you share your faith with them if there's an opportunity? Would you be willing to invite your neighbor to study the Gospel of Mark with you? And yes, there may be the potential of rejection. There may be the potential of alienation. But whether they listen to you or ignore you, it's a win. Christ is proclaimed. And you can rejoice that you had an opportunity to proclaim Christ in a hostile situation. So let's move on to our second scenario. Second area, scenario is this. is this idea of living and dying. That to live or die is a win because living means ministry for Christ, while dying means being with Christ. So rejoice. So whether we continue to draw breath or cease to breathe, it's a win. Dead or alive, it's a victory. Whether you have decades of life left or just weeks, for believers, it's not a loss, it's a win. That life means ministry for Christ, death means being with Christ. So to live or die is a win. So rejoice. Now, we tend to think of death as a loss and living as a win. If we die, we may not be able to see our daughter graduate from college. If we die, then I won't be able to complete this breakthrough research at work. If we die, then who's going to take care of my spouse? And we think that death will mean missing out on so many things. And so we see living as a win. If we continue to live, 
we will see our daughter graduate. If we continue to live, we will achieve that scientific breakthrough. If we live, then we can continue caring for our spouses. But Paul believed that whether we live or die, it was both a win. To go or to remain, it was a win-win. He believes that living and dying are wins for Christians, that both are good things. Life is a win, death is a win. So let's talk first about why living is a win. Living means ministry for Christ. To live means that we have opportunities to do God's work. We have chances to serve God, and we should continue to take advantage of those opportunities as long as we draw breath. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Paul writes this, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So this is the idea. He is able to both live or die. The choices are before him. And yet he goes on to say in verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Meaning that he doesn't know which will happen to him, whether he lives or dies. Because Paul ultimately believes that God controls his fate. But if he lives, he's going to devote it to the service of Christ. He is going to spend his life ministering to other people. Look at what verse 24 says. It says this, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And then he said, he makes three comments about why ministering to people is beneficial. He says three things about serving others. Now, these first two comments are made in verse 25. And here's the first comment. The first thing that Paul says is that Paul says that ministering to others will help them grow in their faith. That it will help them mature in their spirituality. And this text in verse 25 talks about this idea of making progress. Let me read it for us. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He's saying that if he lives, he lives to help others deepen in their understanding of the gospel. It might be teaching them to see connections between the Old Testament and the New in terms of Jesus Christ. It might be teaching them how to pray God's word faithfully. And he wanted to use his life to help believers mature. Now, there's a second comment that Paul makes. Paul says that ministering to others is his desire because he wants them to experience joy that comes with faith, that there's a happiness that comes from growing in Christ. Look at verse 25. There's this phrase, joy in the faith. The purpose of growing in your understanding of God is to experience joy. And that Paul hopes that believers would be in awe of who God is, how he sovereignly directs the life of Israel so that the Savior of the world would come through them. And that he would hope that they would be able to rejoice at the deep peace that comes from knowing Christ and that he is in control, this peace that surpasses all understanding. And that he wanted the Philippians to be able to experience the happiness that comes from living out the truth of God's word. He wanted them to experience joy. Now, Paul makes one last comment about using his life to minister to others. He talks about the purpose of his ministry, 
that he ministers to others so that Christ would receive the glory, that Jesus would receive the credit. Look at verse 26. It says, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. That Paul hopes that as the Philippians grow in their faith, that they will rejoice over their salvation, that they would attribute all the credit to Christ and that they would boast in what Christ has done in their lives, that the purpose of Paul's ministry is that Jesus Christ would receive the praise and the boasting that he deserves. And to live and do God's work is a triumph. It's a win. So if Paul lives, he sees this opportunity to do ministry. He ministers to others to help them grow in their faith, He ministers to help them experience joy in Christ. He ministers to others so that Christ ultimately would receive the glory. So with all these advantages, one would think that the choice is easy. Paul, you should just live. But Paul also says that death is a win because death means being with Christ. Uh, Look at verse 21 again. It says, For to me, to live is Christ." and to die is gain. And then in verse 23, it says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That Paul prefers to die because once believers die, they're able to be with Jesus. For unbelievers, death is the end, but for believers, death is actually the beginning. It begins a new life with Christ where we can behold him in his glory, where we can receive the benefits of a resurrected body, where sin will be no more, and that for those of us who perhaps are a little bit tone deaf, we can hear the beautiful melodies of the angels as they sing praise to the Lord. Our bodies will not move with pain or soreness. Our minds will no longer be filled with impure thoughts. So death, especially for a Christian, leads to a better life with Christ. And that's a win. To live or die is a win, so believers should rejoice. So since life or death is a win, then we should rejoice that we have an opportunity to live our lives for the glory of God, to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus. If we receive a cancer diagnosis, then pray that your life would be a witness to God especially when you receive your chemo or radiation treatments. If your cancer goes into remission, then continue to serve the Lord. But if the cancer is incurable, then prepare to go home to be with the Lord as well. And there are many ways that God can take us home. It could be illness. It could be a sudden accident. It could be violence. Whatever happens, we are to live our lives for God's glory. Because whether we live or die, it's a win. So there is no such thing as a no-win scenario for a believer, because in Christ, every scenario is a win. So we should rejoice. Since Christ conquered death, we are victors with him forever. In Christ, no situation will result in our loss. It will always be a win. So let me close with a quote. Uh, Steph Curry, who plays for the Oakland Warriors. Now, I know, some of you may be for them. 
against them because it's NBA Finals, but that's not the point, okay? The point is this. He's married to his wife, Aisha, and so after the Warriors lost the NBA championship in 2016, she is on the record for saying this. As great as an athlete my husband is, one of his greatest gifts is his ability to keep losses in perspective. Last season could have devastated some people, changed their being, their whole personality. Steph was down for a little bit, and he wanted to reflect on how things could have been different. But by a little bit, I mean two days. Three, at most. Steph wants that championship as much as anybody ever could. But he doesn't need that ring to complete his sense of who he is and what he's worth. Win or lose, he's the same happy guy. And whatever situation we find ourselves in, may we also have that inward sense of joy that accompanies a deep belief in the gospel so that whatever happens in life or death, win or lose, in Christ, we win. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift that is your Son, Jesus Christ, and for how you have called us to place our faith in him. We thank you that because we are now in relationship with you through your Son, that there is every single opportunity to rejoice, because we know that in the end, everything will work out, things will be fine, and that whether we face wins or losses in our life, in Christ, we always have victory. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.